When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe. And yet again, we've got another busy show in store. As always, I'll be joined by former England fast bowler Steve Harmison to look back on the inaugural 100 as the Southern Brave win the men's title and the Oval Invincibles seal the women's title. We'll discuss what next for the format and how it might be improved. As well as that, we'll be joined by Southern Braves' Jake Lintock. We'll hear from Somerset captain Tom Abel and look ahead to this week's third test between England and India. So, plenty to come here on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, Harmi, it was three years ago that the 100 was first launched. It was postponed for a year because of COVID. And now we finally got our first sight of it. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's still... Jury's still out for me, uh, if I'm brutally honest. I still... I still can't understand why we can't play exactly the same teams with 2020. 2020 works. I, I have enjoyed it. I must admit, I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to enjoy it. Um, and it was simple to understand. But where it fits in, in our calendar, where it fits in around the world with other people playing it and how the, how we take it to the next level, I don't see it going having too much mileage. I don't think you'll crack India with it. I don't think you'll crack Australia with it because T20 is working in them countries. But for a spectacle, I think it's it's really worked. I think it's enhanced the women's game, no end. And that, for me, is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And you've seen the way the women's game has evolved and moved forward in the, in the course of the last 12 months to get to this point and to move on. I think is is so valuable for, for for women's cricket and good on them for that. That that's good. I just don't understand how we can't get this into 2020 because it's like I said, 2020 works. We've seen some you know, superstars come from left field a little bit, um, but we've also seen some top players just show their class and and get through. So the crowds have been good, the atmospheres have been good, behaviour has been reasonably good, and I think you know, it has been a positive exercise. 
But I think there, there are a lot of negative things that have come with this 100, i.e. the scheduling, other cricket suffering, everything that goes with it. I think that's the next step for the ECB to get that in place. Because, like I said before, the mileage of it going around the world, I'm not so sure that will happen. Placing the 100 in the middle of the season, I, I just think that new tournaments, new concepts need to earn the support of, of fans. Um, uh, this one seems to have been thrust into uh, you know the middle of the season, thrust upon fans. They, you will enjoy this. You will yeah. love this. You know, it, 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 and I, I feel sorry for the hundred in a way. I mean, I'm very conscious about being open-minded, but I feel sorry for the hundred because you know if it was introduced um, less forcefully, maybe at the beginning of the season or at the end of the season, it would have had a, a chance. It will still have a chance to earn the affection, the respect, and eventually even the love of uh, supporters. But, you know, let's not nitpick too much. Um, there are lots of suggestions around as to how the tournament could be improved. Uh, I, I'll start with a couple. You know, 10 ball over. Bowlers must bowl a 10 ball over. They mustn't have the option of a, of a five ball over. Maybe move or expand the Welsh fire. Call it the Western fire because the Southwest has been a bit marginalised, hasn't it? So, yeah. you know, include Bristol and, and Taunton play games there. What about the women's game as always being the curtain raiser? Maybe uh, have, you know, so the profile of the women's game has improved massively with this tournament. So why not have even some standalone women's games at the big, uh, the big venues? Your thoughts on any of that? I agree with the standalone women's games. I think they could Friday night give, give them priority of, yeah, out of the eight games that they play. I think they could play standalone games at smaller venues. Um, and big Friday night games at the, the big grounds, the Lords, the Ovals and, and places like that. Because I think maybe it's another year of the way it is. And then you can you can see how how big the women's games evolve. Because I think they've, they've, they've done they've done brilliantly out of out of this hundred. I think standalone games. Yeah, I think that could be a possibility. I don't have a problem with the, the Welsh fire name being changed. But the other hand is, well, it is the England and Wales cricket board. So. Yeah, they've got to come in. You know, the Welsh, you know, Welsh fire was was read, rightly named, and it's played in Cardiff. So, yeah, I, I understand you are alienating the west, you know, the west part of the country, Bristol and 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 um, in Somerset and stuff like that. But get rid of the timeouts. Sound like Bumble here when ten minutes after drinks, uh, ten minutes after lunch, somebody comes running on with a drink. I'm I'm, I'm all for you know just getting the game going because I don't think. Bowled. Too many teams bowled there are a lot of overs in the 65. Oh, there are a lot of 100 balls in the 65, uh, 65 minutes. So that you could do some of that. Asking a bowler to bowl 10 ball, 10 ball over and not having the option of five. I don't see that working. I really don't. I think you have to have some sort of gap, some sort of break. You know, it's a big ask to bowl 10 ball overs. And then what you're going to do, just bowl, bowl twice. You know, two 10 ball overs. So you're not bowled very well. So you're bowling one, one, one 10 ball slot. So I, yeah, I want the thing to evolve and get better, but there's some suggestions which are just out of this world, which should just not even be contemplated. OK, well, um, not surprisingly, Tom Harrison, the ECB chief executive, was not entirely effusive. I mean, he, he did accept that there were scheduling issues and that they would have to be looked at. He didn't provide any immediate solution. I guess that'll have to go to committee. But this is what Tom Harrison said a little earlier. It's clearly difficult for us to prioritise everything all the time. And we have to, you know, there are ways in which we can build better pathways for the players to get into Red Bull cricket in the lead into test series. 
Um, it's not a new problem, as I stated earlier. It's something that's been highlighted this year because we uh, because we've had issues because we lost the test match at Lords, for example, um, because we had a difficult start to the test series against India. But ultimately, I think this is a uh, it's a complex issue that we have to 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 make sure that you know we we take all of those views into the discussions that we have about the schedule. Um, but it is uh, it's not a there's there's not a solution a silver bullet solution that can solve all the problems that um, that a schedule will raise. Um, and it's as much a problem for counties as it is for the ECB. So we, we have to get to a place where uh, we provide those opportunities for players to get into good form and players to continue to play red ball cricket during a test series when they're out of form. And that, that is not an easy thing to, to solve. But we're, we're, we're hard at work at that uh, at the moment. ECB Chief Executive Tom Harrison. And quickly, Harmi, there's also um, there were some <laughs> complaints that uh, the the men's game got a bit boozy. Um, the, <laughs> they got a bit rowdy. Um, and even some suggestions that, you know, alcohol sales should be restricted or, or even banned in certain parts of the ground or, heaven forbid, do what they do in Australia and serve that low alcohol no. stuff. <laughs> I mean, the, the elephant in the room is that beer sales are vital to the economy of sport. Absolutely. And you have, well, I'm a drinker, so I'm going to want to go to a, an event and, and have a drink. That's just part of the the fun and the, and the, and the ride of, of what this hundred is. And yes, if you had standalone women's games, the, the event wouldn't be on as long. But then would people want to go to an event that's only on, but, but which is not as long? I think that's the, the, the Mario of it. You know, you can have family areas where there's no no alcohol, but... I think if you banned alcohol, you just get you just get idiots going to to the local pub for two hours, drinking as much as they possibly can, on an empty head, and then going to the going to the ground. Then, so yeah, you at least you're giving them a chance to space it out and act half sensible. You just got to police it better. If if there's issues, your stewards have got to be on the ball. You've got to police the thing better, police the area better, and make sure that if anybody is you're losing their empty head, you evict them very, very quickly from the ground. And that's, it just gets, it just takes one to go out the ground for everybody else to look and, and think, well, I better behave myself because, you know, they're right on top of this thing. There's a couple of times in this, in this hundred so far where there's people entered the playing field and that would be concerning for me because as a sportsman, that area should be a no-go for anybody. And we are getting people going on. That for me is, that's got to be, police better and there's many times in this games in these games where I've seen people on the field and that there could be a catastrophic you know thing happen to somebody if you know somebody wanted to make a name for themselves and the players are the ones that are, are providing the entertainment so the students should be better for that and just finally back to this idea of the hundred catching on I mean I can't see it catching on anywhere else um and and on a point of principle you know, I mean, you know, the T20 format is highly successful around the world. And I, I would imagine that uh, even if I was if I was the BCCI or, or Cricket Australia or, or New Zealand Cricket, I, I'd be thinking that's an English thing. They've hmm. made it up. They can have it. And, you know, I would even I wouldn't be surprised if the BCCI banned 100 tournaments being played. You know, they they, they can ban whatever they like, the BCCI. They, they rule with a an iron fist. I, I can imagine somebody starting a hundred tournament and the BCCI shutting it down. Yeah. And I agree. I don't see this unless the Olympics is going to take it, but 
why would the Olympics not take 2020? Because it's got, you know, the, the stat structure, it's got the, the structure of, of world cricket, all the emerging nations play it. It's going to be interesting to see how the ICC handle exactly what you've just described, because they're the ones that have got to govern the game. And if people start thinking, right, are we going to play 100? Will the BCCI put pressure on the ICC to, to make sure that does not happen? I can't see it outside England. I think I understand why they did it in England, because you we needed a, a, a format where a franchise format sort of get around 18 counties. We had to change the game a little bit. I fully understand that. Does this then turn into a 2020 competition? And I agree with what we were saying earlier on. It's been, it's been, it hasn't been rammed down our throat. It, it, it's been, you know, it's been so forcefully put by the broadcasters and the people working for the broadcasters because some of it has just been sickening. I must admit, I've been throwing things at the telly, listening to people or you know, looking on the social media, saying great this and fantastic that. Former teammates of mine, good friends of mine, and I'm laughing at them and going. You cannot believe, you cannot believe what you're actually saying. You cannot believe what you're actually saying. But that's what that, yeah, they're trying to, to, to sort of ram home what the, the, uh, the 100 has been. Um, and, you know, look, good luck to them. But I don't see this happening anywhere outside the British Isles. Um, and look, it makes, it makes a great showcase because people are going to watch it. But over a course of a five-year period, it'd be interesting to see where this 100 stands in the world. 2020, we said the same point about 2020, but people played it around the world. I don't see this getting played around the world. I just see it being an, an English competition. And you're right, I don't think the BCCI will, let the touch, will even entertain the idea of touching it. Just finally, um, the idea of the 10 ball over, of course, is to put more pressure on bowlers. So there's nowhere to hide. So if the wheels fall off and you've got to bowl 10 balls, there's nowhere to hide. The idea, of course, is to get more hundreds scored in the hundred. So, yeah, more more pain for bowlers. No, absolutely, man. It's just crazy. And can you imagine if it was one of my 10 ball overs? It would be here all night. It would be about 15, 15 <laughs> balls. No, get away with 10 ball overs. Just have fives. Time now to look ahead to the third test between England and India, which starts at Headingley on Wednesday. As you will no doubt know, David Milan and Sakib Mahmood have been uh, recalled to the test squad. Now, Harmi, it's bleak. Uh, it feels very bleak for England, obviously, doesn't it? So much time invested in Zach Crawley and Dom Sibley, and they've now been discarded. But you know what? I remember the 90s. <laughs> England have been in worse places than they are currently. They're only 1-0 down, but goodness me. Um, you know, we, we, uh, we try and train ourselves to look on the bright side, um, to be optimistic. But Cho Root and Jimmy Anderson aside, it's, it's quite difficult, isn't it? Absolutely, man. It's absolutely. You look at the, the list of players that are not going to be playing in this test match. And it's frightening how good a side we've not got in the in this in the team. So I look at this, I look at this setup, and I think there's a, a good setup there. And, and it's got we've got some we've got some exciting young players who probably just aren't playing to their maximum potential, who are potentially not having the right preparation to give them the best chance to fulfil and, and, and execute their skills. And I'm talking about red ball cricket. Um, and we can go on about structures and, you know, I can be sound like a broken record. But you look at this India side. We've never once said they're underdone. We've never once said their bowlers are not, are maybe short of a gallop and need a, another game before the first test match. India have been in this country for eight weeks. 
they've been in here prep, preparing. Yes, they played against New Zealand, the World Test Championship. They were underdone then, but they've prepared and got ready for Red Bull cricket. And you look at this India side, they, are, they were ready for England. And we have, we have now brought a group of people who, between four or five of them, our batsmen, that we're expecting to score hundreds. One of them, we had one innings between them, one first-class innings between them this year, and that's David Milan, who got 199, I think it was, for Yorkshire. But there's five or six, five or six players who have played no cricket, Red Bull cricket at all. So Apart that is our problem. Matches. Apart from the test matches, but that is our problem. And that is our problem. We cannot get... So it's all well and good. And I don't want to sit here, and I've sat here for, for too long in this chair, over the course of, of the last three weeks, saying, you know, his head position was all over, his balance was shocking, it was a yeah, poor shot, all that stuff. You've got to step back and have, a, as, a, as a former professional cricketer, and give these kids a little bit of, not a leeway, because you're playing international cricket, but you've got, to have an, you've got to have an understanding that this is what's happening. They're not having the best chance to prepare for a test match and have a run of a, run of, a string of run of innings together for over a, long, a longer period to make sure they're in a position to, to sort of be top, top test players. Because we're going backwards and we'll never get better if we keep not so much discarding Sibley and Crawley and all that, but if they're not playing cricket and facing Red Bull, they're not going to perform very, very well. And that's the problem we've got in this country at this moment in time. I remember very clearly the outrage, the horror that there was before uh, an Ashes series down under when England only had two warm-up games. Yeah. Uh, because they used to have three or four. And then more outrage in the 2000s when they had just one warm-up game. And a couple of years ago, when England went to Sri Lanka, they had a, a two-day open net it wasn't even a game. Do you yeah. remember though? They played, yeah. they played one day batting, one day bowling against a makeshift team. And now, as you said, that 199 David Milan made was on June the 3rd. It's seven weeks ago. And now he's being brought back into the England team as a saviour of the top order. Do you know what? I, I Initially, I thought, how much pressure must he be under? But I've changed 180 degrees now because I think this must be the ultimate nothing to lose Innings for David Milan. I mean, he averages 27, 27.8 in 15 test matches. I, that was three years ago, the last of those test matches. So, you know, he's 33 now. He may well be in the best form of his life. But he thought that his test career was gone, I, I would imagine. I, I should think that having become the number one T20 batsman in the world, he thought his test days were over. But he's got absolutely nothing to lose. You know, I mean, if he makes a pair... It'd be a shrug of the shoulders and say, "Well, that's what Zach Crawley and Dom Sibley were doing." Yeah, and it is. It's a. It's a they're in a, and that is a worrying thing for me from a, a former player. That a player goes in, you're picking a player who goes in thinking, "I've got nothing to lose." Um, yeah, it should be everything to gain when it comes to to your, your Test match career. But like I said last week, whoever England picked about at number three or had to bring in, it had to be an experienced player. You know, they had to bring a David Milan or a James Vince into this group because nobody has been playing red ball cricket. The whole country's not been playing red ball cricket. So we needed somebody who had played a lot of first-class cricket, who was experienced enough to take the experience of disappointments, but also the, the pressure of being in that and have a lot of experience to call back on when you know when chips are down in the in the cauldron of the battle of, of test match cricket. And that for me had to be an experienced first class cricketer because 
if you chuck a young kid in there and say, oh, go on, you've got nothing to lose and have a go, you could scar him for the rest of his career, facing the likes of Shami Bumra and Siraj and uh, Ishan Sharma. So I think they had to go back to an experienced player. I would have gone heads or tails, either one, Vince or, or Milan, to bat at number three. Yeah, look, it's a, a little bit of a free hit, but should we really be in this position? This is the England cricket team, and this is, for me, why we're talking about the, the 100, the problems, the 100, the negative side of the 100 has given us. This is one of the negative sides. The structure of English cricket is completely a shambolic that we are going back to a 33-year-old who averages 27 because the simple fact is he's played a lot of first-class cricket and we're, dra- we're drawn on experience and not having somebody that's just banged 200s out in the last two weeks and facing a very, very formidable India side. So, uh, look, I feel sorry for David Milan. I feel sorry for the England batters because they're not getting you know, the, the, the chance to, to, to sort of have the, have the preparation time and to go into a test match feeling, you know what, I feel great. I feel as well. I'm seeing the football, seeing the ball like football. I'm leaving the ball well. I know where my off stump is. I know where my scoring shots are. I don't think any anybody in this England side, other than Joe Root, has confidence of where his off stump is, where he's leaving it, or where he's hitting it. Okay, talking of Joe Root, this was the England captain talking a little bit earlier. Hey Joe, good to see you. Um, given what's happened this summer with the injuries and you dad all the off the field stuff, and on top of being in a COVID bubble, I just want to ask, how are you? How are you dealing with staying positive and keeping that enthusiasm? I'm playing for England. I'm playing Test cricket. It's quite easy to stay positive in that respect. You know, I'm living my boyhood dream, and I think constantly we're trying to remind myself that as well. When we are having the odd tough day or things aren't always going in our ways, when I was ten years old, I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do. So I think living that boyhood dream is uh, is one way that you can constantly keep motivating yourself to um, to front up to the next challenge and the next day. Look, I, I'm not going to lie. It's, it's the last year or and a half, however, it's been challenging for everyone involved in it. Even like these press conferences, not being able to, to sit and have a conversation with people to do it over Zoom, it's it's not ideal. You you want you want to everyone wants to um, get back to doing things ha- how they have been, but you, you've got to manage it as best as you can. You've got to find ways of, of dealing with certain scenarios and aspects of this current climate. And I'm a I'm a cricket tragic at heart. I love I love the game. I love batting. Um, so every opportunity to try and do that, I'll, I'll try and take. And just how beneficial has it been to have some time off after that Lord's test, just to take stock and go again ahead of a, a huge free test test matches coming up? Yeah, it's been huge. I think everyone's really enjoyed that opportunity to go home and you know, be present with their families, be have their own space again and, and just have a, a sense of normality. Um, get away from, from cricket a little bit, get away from an, the that sort of pressure environment and come back refreshed. So it'll certainly serve as well coming into to the rest of this week. England captain Joe Root. Now, um, let's talk about Saqib Mahmood because, you know, the amazing thing is that uh, similarly to David Milan, he's being brought back in because he it looks like he will play in the absence of Mark Wood, but you can speculate on that. Interesting thing is, he made his debut a couple of years ago when he was only 22. I mean, he's he's only 24 years old. But here's the the, the stat that that shocks me: he's only played 22 first-class games, and here he is. He won't, he's not going to be leading the attack, but he's going to have to carry quite a burden. So another question is work rates. I mean, he hasn't. He's been bowling. He's been bowling 20 balls. <laughs> 
That's it. It's crazy. It is crazy. It's madness. You're asking bowlers to run up and bowl 25 overs out of 110. When it comes to bowlers, you talk about these red zones. You know, these red zones are going to be they're going to be they're going to be so highlighted. It's ridiculous because of you know you're going from bowling nothing to bowling. You ask you can ask a kid from bowling 20 balls to bowling 25 overs over the course of two days and or a day and a half. Because if if India get in, England will bat, England England will field for 120 130 overs. Now you're asking the likes of Anderson, who's 39, Mahmood, who as like you said, 20 20 odd first class matches. Been bowling twenty balls. Overton's been bowling twenty balls. Then you've got to balance your side. Your side changes. The structure of your team changes as well. Because in an ideal world, I'd go. I'd bring Ollie Pope. I'd leave Sam Curran out. Bring Ollie Pope in. Strengthen the batting and bat. Bat Butler at seven. Mo and Ali at eight. And pick three seamers. But you can't. It's not possible because you're asking. Then you're asking Jimmy Anderson to bowl thirty-five overs. You're asking Mahmood if he plays to bowl thirty overs. You're asking. Robinson to bowl 30 overs because, you know, in the first innings, because if you lose the toss and you field first, Moen doesn't become as effective. You're asking your seamers to bowl, rotate and bowl a lot of overs. Now, you can't do that because of the way England, the, the, the way the, 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 the calendar structure is, because our bowlers have not bowled enough. So that impacts Joe Root's decision at the, at the top to pick a team which is well balanced, which is to get 20 wickets and potentially score 400, 480, 500 runs to win a test match. And it, it comes back. It'll all come back to the, the calendar structure and bowlers not being prepared enough. But again, I, I find myself trying to be critical in decisions that are made on the field, but fully understand how they're getting made on the field by what's happening to the, 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 cricket, the, the structure of the cricket off the field. So again, we are we're going in a circle of talking about you know preparation and things not being ready. Mark Wood got injured. It was a, an accident. It was a it was a freak accident. You know, in in the field, fast bowler shouldn't dive. Yeah, you know, that's what size twelves are for. You know, if it, can't, if it doesn't, if, if your size twelve can't stop it, it's four. You let it go. You know, you do not knock your, your your body doing that. But comes back to the you know the fact that our test team is not being given the best chance to be the best test team it possibly can be. And if Saki Mahmood plays great, over the moon for the kid. But boy, are we asking too much of some of our some of our players. Injuries are been a massive part of this series, um, but it's how a team adapts, isn't it? I mean, it was really interesting to see. I'm changing subject slightly here, but Cricket Australia chief executive Nick Hockley defending Justin Langer, saying that his record was very good this year when he had all the players available. But surely, the mark of a good team and a good coach is how well they adapt and how well they are able to succeed when they don't have everybody yeah and then that's been England's England's trouble of finding uh, substitutes to, to fill the gaps which are not firing and that's the top order basically I think we fire I think we've found enough from the bowling department whether it's you know Broad and Anderson or Broad with Anderson with and having a, a well balanced attack, spin spin departments a bit threadbare, but good to see Moen back. Our middle order, I think our middle order is fine. We've got two very very good, two or three wicket keeping options, which are very very good. We've just struggled at the top of the order, one, two, and three, and them are not only the key positions, but yeah, especially in England when the ball moves around more than it would in the Southern Hemisphere. 
And I think that is something that we need to address very, very quickly. And first-class structure doesn't help because, you know, we keep playing on, we keep playing at the start of the year on wickets, which opening batsmen don't really stand a chance on. So, you know, fingers crossed somebody will come out of the, the latter part of the Bob Willis Trophy. But when you look at the Bob Willis Trophy, again, you know, it starts a day after this next test match finishes. So really, in theory, there's only two 40 games where we can get any players that we feel as though, especially if, if this test match, in between this test match, the four players that don't play in this test match go and play in the Bob Willis Trophy and try and get some sort of form to push the players that are in. And I'm talking about Sibley and Crawley as well on that, because again, we need, we need, we need our structure to be better because it's, it's not helping us develop opening batsmen or key positions for this team to go forward. And the rest of it seems to be in, in decent, decent competition for places. And the problem is, or another problem is that with the conference system, if you're not in Division 1 and you're in Division 2 or Division 3, then you're effectively playing for 7th to 12th place or 13th to 18th place. And you have to wonder about the intensity yeah. of, uh, of the cricket in those games, to be honest. Um, anyway, you're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Next up... We'll hear from Somerset captain Tom Abel and speak live to the Southern Brave left-arm wrist spinner Jake Lintott. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want Salon Perfect Nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah, me too. With the Alvin June Manny system, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours and love your nails more than ever. I would know I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny system with code PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. That's PERFECTMANNY20 at alvinjune.com slash PERFECTMANNY20. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan.
You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can listen back to the podcast now available on the following on feed via the free TalkSport app. Delighted to say that a little earlier today, I had a chat to uh, Jake Lintott after that brilliant performance from the Southern Brave, lifting the inaugural 100 title. Jake, I know that you've been asked a lot about this. You've been doing a lot of media in the last couple of days. This incredible story and your journey to uh, to inaugural 100 champion. Um, I guess it's all um, sunk in. I mean, you're, you know, you're 28 years old. You're not 18 anymore. Um, but it's it's a, the dream carries on. You're now going to go and play in the Caribbean Premier League. Yeah, no, it's um, it's been an unbelievable last sort of 15 months or so since signing for Warwickshire to play in the T20 last summer to signing my first three-year deal um, with Warwickshire and then to get picked up as a wild card and then, you know, to win the tournament and, and go so well. It's sort of, yeah, it's hard to get my head around. I'm still, still sort of um, riding the wave at the moment, just trying to soak it all up. But it's, uh, yeah, um, Saturday night was... Um, definitely the the biggest highlight of my career so far, and and, and it will be there for a long time, I'd imagine. Let's just rewind a bit further back, can we, to 2017 when you made your blast debut for for Hampshire. You then had a spell with Gloucestershire. It didn't go according to well, it didn't go as well as it has done in the last year or two. Did you give up at that point um, on your dream of playing professional cricket? Um, I think initially, like in my head, I I'd struggled to process that rejection because I'd done pretty well and I didn't feel like I'd done a lot wrong. So that was tough to take, obviously, when Gloucester said that they weren't going to keep me on having done really well um, in the second team and, it, and in the three games I played. So, yeah, it was a frustrating time, but um, I think naturally uh, it's how you come back from those and, and I managed to come back pretty strong from them and, and find some inner self-belief. I've always believed that I'm good enough um, and it was just a case of someone else having that belief in me really um, and luckily I found that with Warwickshire and without their support and sort of backing I wouldn't be where I am now I guess. What is it about Rispin and particularly left arm Rispin and, and T20 cricket the shortest format and 100 cricket because virtually without exception every champion team has a Rispinner. Yeah I think the good thing about us is generally we take wickets just because we're that bit different and we spin the ball both ways and it makes it a little bit harder for batters to line up potentially so yeah I think most good white ball sides have a wrist spinner in there which is great for us obviously but yeah I think we're seen as attacking options and and someone who can potentially change a game so that's obviously when I'm playing that's my plan is to try and take wickets and try and impact the game in that way. You took 15 in the blast didn't you and another 11 in the 100 how how do you react when a batsman gets hold of you? Because that 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 happens. I mean, do you just back yourself and go, "That's fine, you can hit me for six because I'm going to get you out next ball." <laughs> yeah, I think I'm learning to deal with that a bit better as I've as I've played more and more. Really, I think initially it's just you you struggle to deal with that sometimes, and that can affect your whole bowling performance in general. So I've tried to be, um, I've tried to play the game with a smile on my face. I think everyone's seen how much I've enjoyed playing, and and I think that ability to sort of park getting hit for six and focus on that next ball has been key and Mahela's Mahela Jarwarden has worked with me on that and feel like every time I get hit now I can come back strong which obviously I did quite well in, in the last game on Saturday to get Mo in that last over. Your A lot has been said about your, your arm speed because you're quite quick through the air but you spin it as well you sort of 
left arm version of Rashid Khan. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know about that. He's um he's an absolute wizard. But yeah, I do try and bowl with decent pace. I think actually I've started to bowl quicker as the tournament's gone on, just through learning. Um, and yeah, I've tried to get my paces up a little bit, just because if it's spinning both ways at a quicker pace, then that makes it more challenging for batters. So yeah, you watch a lot of these. Um, wrist spinners who do well around the world and they tend to bowl with quite good pace it just makes it that bit harder to line up I guess One of the things that frustrates me about the sort of casual supporter is that they have this assumption that when a spinner has a man caught on the boundary he's, he's lucky <laughs> That's not true I mean it's just not true is it because particularly as a wrist spinner and sometimes you can drag one down but it's still spinning so far away from the bats when you have him caught at point yeah, no, exactly. I think that that's a common misconception. And actually, we set fields to to get hit to those fields, and and we'll bowl deliveries to to certain players to try and get them hitting against what they they want to do. Really, so no, definitely. Obviously, there's times where you'll bowl a bad ball and it will get hit to hit to deep mid wicket, but that can often be as a result of the doubt you've put in the batter's mind from previous deliveries. So, obviously, I'm going to say that as a spinner, but. Yeah, we'll take them however they come, really. But I think the the build-up to those dismissals is often the key. All right, let's talk a little bit about the quarterfinal coming up. How, how's your preparation going for that? Yeah, so we I've, I've got a couple of days off now just to switch off and spend some time with my family. I haven't seen them for five weeks or so because I've been based in Southampton. So just trying to switch off and get away from the game a little bit, which is, which is good. And then I join up with Warwickshire on Wednesday and we'll train Wednesday, Thursday travel to Kent and then play Friday um, and then yeah so we'll be prepping for that I think the whole squad are in so should be I'm really looking forward to seeing the boys obviously I've not seen them for five weeks and it's quite you get a bit of um, separation almost so it'll be nice to see them and catch up with them. Director of Cricket at Queen's College in Taunton have they been good enough to uh, put that position on the on the on the back burner for you they're going to keep it keep your seat warm because you're gonna have to give it up I assume. Yeah um so, yeah, the plan is very much for... Like, they've been brilliant to me, I must say, throughout the whole time of, of in the last year. They've given me a lot of flexibility in terms of playing my cricket and to have employers that are so accommodating and, and um, willing to sort of support you on a journey has been really key. Um, the cricket has obviously gone really well and, unfortunately, the two roles won't work moving forward. So, yeah, I'm, I'm stopping that role at the end of this school year. Well, at the start of September and that would be someone else's role to take on but I'll still be very much involved with the school and coming in and coaching where I can I love my coaching and um, I owe a lot to that school because that's where I went to school and they helped me on my journey so I'll still be giving back to them and trying to get down as much as possible to help the the next generation coming through. Okay and um, spinners developing late a lot do um, and I've often had the impression that English cricket's not very good at, uh, at, at, at sort of coming to terms with that. You know, I mean, you're you're 28, and you know, it's it's that's young. <laughs> yeah, um, I've touched on it in a lot of interviews I've done. Um, I feel pretty strongly about it. The county setup does not allow for late developers. It doesn't allow for people to come in at 23, 24. Like I was ready probably in terms of performing like this three or four years ago, and and just couldn't get an opportunity. So I've had to keep pushing that and, and to get it now obviously is special, but I feel like I had a lot more to give and could have started earlier maybe. And that's 
something that I think the ECB and counties need to look at is how they how they can keep people on their books um, and keep developing them because we're not uh, I coach a lot of kids and um, you see them develop at different ages through their teens but then to be making a decision on someone at 18 years old saying they're good enough or not is in my opinion crazy um and yeah i think the ecb should should try and look at ways and trying to trying to keep those guys in the game for longer because once they go out of it it's very hard to get back in you're going to be in barbados in 10 days time how's that feel oh how good i can't wait um <laughs> it's another it's icing on the cake really for this year it's it's come about obviously through good performances and and I feel like I, I'm ready for that opportunity. But, you know, to play in a in a big franchise league in the Caribbean, um, it's not going to get much better than that at the moment. And that's, yeah, I'm really excited. Looking forward to joining up with the team. Um, I've heard lots of lots of things about the CPL. Um, sounds like plenty of fun. Um, and, yeah, I love, love playing cricket and enjoy my cricket. So it seems like a good fit for me. You've got international ambitions. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I, I make no sort of... When I joined up with Warwickshire, Mark Robinson made it pretty clear that, you know, we've got to have ambitions as players and we've got to try and, you know, fulfil dreams. And, and I'm doing that at the moment. But at the same time, I definitely believe that I can play at that level. Um, obviously, I'm 28 and I've come into it quite late, but I still feel like I've got something to offer and I'm that bit different. And I'm the only left arm wrist spinner in the country. So, you know, I'd love to do that. It'd be a dream come true. And I definitely believe I can do that. You've given a lot of people a lot of pleasure and um, you are proof that dreams do come true, Jake. Many, many, many congratulations. Well done. Thanks very much, guys. Really appreciate it. Right. Time for a change now and time to hear from Birmingham Phoenix and Somerset batsman Tom Abel, who's been speaking to TalkSport about the success of the 100, the legacy it will leave and what it's like to play alongside Liam Livingston. He's been speaking to TalkSport's Scott Taylor. Yeah, naturally, obviously, from a personal point of view, it's frustrating uh, being out injured. But equally, it's been brilliant being around the group. We've got a great group of, group of guys and obviously the team's done really well. But of course, you know, as players, everyone, you know, wants to be involved. So much excitement around the competition. And, you know, I think it's generated a huge amount of interest and people have really got into it, um, which has obviously been a massive part of it. Looking back today, there's there a story that over 100,000 kids have got involved in cricket this summer alone. Do you think the 100 has played a major impact in that? I think so. The way it looks is that, you know, the 100's had a massive influence on on the interest and obviously every game's been televised and there's been a real buzz around it. So I think, yeah, it's got so many kids into it, which which is obviously great. And, you know, hopefully that next generation will sort of, yeah, want to start playing cricket and, and get involved. And, yeah, it's just a great thing for the game. You know, hopefully the game will grow and, um, yeah, it's been a brilliant tournament from that point of view. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about England needing its own franchise tournament. When you look around the world, most of the major test-playing nations have their own franchise tournament. Do you think this this can be can hold its own as a format? Because obviously the T20 Blast is a lot different, and there's a lot of steps people very sceptical about the the format itself. But do you think this can sort of propel English cricket to the next level? Of course, yeah. I mean, I think sort of domestic 2020 cricket is thriving as well. Um, but obviously, the 100 is a new concept, uh, a new product. And in terms of sort of what it's done for the profile of players and, and cricket in, in the country, it's been massive. So, yeah, I guess the overriding, obviously, hope is that it will grow uh, cricket as a whole in the country. And, you know, hopefully, county cricket will thrive as a result also. 
And let's talk about a man who's had a, a brilliant summer. Didn't quite get you over the line in the final, but that's Liam Livingston. I mean, 92 not out. Highest score of the 100, of course. Just how good has he been over the last six weeks or so? Oh, I mean, he's been unbelievable. To be honest, I sort of didn't realise he was as good as he is. Um, obviously, playing in the South group, don't see a huge amount of, of the, the guys in the North group, but uh, he's obviously been a real leader for us. Um, you know, and the way he strikes the ball is is phenomenal. So, yeah, long may his form continue, that's for sure. And as a captain yourself, he's obviously made that step up to captain the franchise with with Mo going back into the test side. How impressed have you been with his, his captaincy as well? Yeah, I mean, he's been sort of very impressive from a number of sort of different points of view. Uh, you know, we, we obviously had Moeen as captain at the start, but Livy was still, you know, quite influential. Uh, he's a real sort of leader within the group and obviously the way he's performed um, has been huge for us. So look, it's been, it's been obviously uh, great for, for us domestic players to sort of be involved in a different environment and get to know and get to play with different guys. And yeah, it's, it's been, you know, the Birmingham Phoenix has been a great team to be a part of. And yeah, it's just, it's been brilliant. And you look, you look at the white ball options that England have at the minute, it's quite frankly ridiculous. But having been around Liam in the last, what, six weeks or so, do you think he has what it takes to get his name on the plane for this World Cup this winter? Without a doubt, yeah. I mean, he can't do any more, can he? You know, the way he's sort of taken his opportunities when he's played for England this summer and obviously he's really stepped up in this competition. I think he's uh, comfortably the leading run scorer. And yeah, he's really sort of taken it upon himself to, to lead from the front with the bat. Yeah, but equally, it's been, you know, there's been a number of sort of contributions uh, throughout the team, which I guess has been a sort of hallmark of, of our success in this competition. Birmingham Phoenix's Tom Abel there, who's tipped Liam Livingston to get on the plane to the UAE this winter. Let's have a look at, ahead to uh, the T20 World Cup, as we'll be doing over the next uh, couple of weeks. I assume, Harmy, that uh, Liam Livingston has now made himself indispensable. He's, uh, he's inked into that squad, I presume, is he? Yeah, he's in it for me. Uh, now more so than if Ben Stokes doesn't go, um, he could be valuable in that middle order. I think what he's shown in the in the in, especially in the hundred is that you know he can play on the big stage, he can play on the big occasion when the crowd's there and the atmosphere is there. The challenge for Liam now is for me to get into that num- that number five or number six spot for England in the Test matches. Uh, I really think you know I, I watch him and I, I don't want to sort of put any comparison towards Kevin Peterson because. I don't like comparing eras. I don't like comparing people with people that played before. But I look at when Kevin came into the England cricket team, the the level of expectation, not only on him, but the way he performed, seemed to make him better. And it looks as though Liam's got a little bit of that about him, that when he goes into the bigger stage, it seems to be, look, they're here to watch me. I'm performing here. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show these. Because I watched that final and I thought, you know what? I want to see him go against these quick bowlers. I want to see him go against 90 mile an hour. I want to see him go at Lords in front of the big stage. And yeah, let's see what this kid's about. Came out with a helmet cam on. And I thought, ooh, I just wonder if Mother Cricket might just might just work here against Liam Livingston. And when he hit that first ball out of the ground for six and he kept doing that, I thought, ooh, like what I'm seeing here. Not because he was hitting the ball out of the ground for six, but his temperament and the way he the way he the way he went into the big game and the big stage. And that's the way I mean by what Peterson did. When Peterson came on the stage, it was about it was it was all about Kevin. Nobody else bothered. Nobody else mattered. It was all about Kevin. 
and I, and I like the. I thought, oh, that's a bit like it's a bit like Liam here. I, I'm, I'm quite enjoying this, and I just wondered if his next step in development is can he go and play Test match cricket and bring that to the middle order? But Livingston for me goes T20 World Cup, and I think over the course of the next twelve months, I'd like to think we'll be still sitting here and you know doing the cricket collective and talking about Liam Livingston having a very good summer for England and Test match cricket in that middle order, because I think that's the development going. But I think he's proved he can play on the big stage and, you know, I think he'll go and do well in the in the World T20. Livingston's a better filthy spinner than KP, isn't he? Yeah, he is, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, he seems to have a similar sort of te- yeah, thing with the haircuts and the colours and stuff like that. So that's a bit of concerning, but... No, I, I really, I've really enjoyed Liam Livingston in the last this 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 cricket season so far. I think he's proved that he's he's his career's on a, on an upward spiral, and I'd love to see him. I'd love to see him want to play Test match cricket, and I'd love to see him bring swagger into the middle order for England, whether he bats at number five or number six. Um, I think he can he could go out there and do what Kevin did and perform and bat that way in, in test matches because it's different. When you bring a one-day player in to go at the top of the order, it's a different animal altogether with Jason Roy. I think Jason Roy was set up to fail from the very, very start. But going into the middle order, I think he can he could do and adapt that. And if he goes and has a good 2020 World Cup, if he finishes off and he, he, he has another, you know, his career path is going in the right direction, he seems as though he's got the temperament to play on the big stage and good luck to him. I, I'm, I've really enjoyed watching Liam Livingston perform over the last sort of three, three and a half months of this cricket season. And back to fast bowling, Harmy. Has Tamil Mills done enough to uh, force his way, certainly in contention for a spot in the England uh, T20 World Cup squad? What, what have you made of his form? Yeah, I think he's bowled brilliantly. I think he's bowled fantastic. I think he has a chance. I think he has a slim chance, but he has a chance. England struggle at death bowling. In, in white ball cricket. And I think that's just not just 20 to 20, I think that's 50 overs as well. So with no archer, I think Mills would be a very, very good substitute for bowling at the death. It's whether England can can fit him in because of, they've had players so far in, the, in, the, in their T20s and their 50 over competitions that have done very, very well for them. So I think it might bowl to whoever's, you know, from a fitness point of view, um, the likes of Mahmood and Wood, um, whether Wokes is going to be fit for, for the, the World T20. Um, but he's he's done himself no harm. He bowled brilliantly in the semi-final, the eliminator. Is it the, the eliminator? Bowled brilliantly in the eliminator. He got three for eight off 16 balls. And then he bowled, he bowled well in the um he bowled well in the final. He didn't go for many runs. His slower ball change-ups are, are excellent. His Yorkers were were on the money and quick. Um, and he's got these these bouncer is is slippery. So you know, from from somebody who can only really bowl four four overs from a, a body uh, can detect somebody that's got body issues to play three or four games in a short space of time. That would be the challenge and the test for the selectors. But I don't think he's done himself any harm. I think he's been excellent for for the Southern Braves in the hundred. Well, you're not the only one who rates him, Harmy, because uh, James Vince had this to say about Tamil Mills. In my mind, it would it would make sense with Joffre not being available, someone that can bowl, you know, 90-odd mile an hour and has got the change-ups that he has. He's also, I think, improved. Not that his batting would get him picked, but, you know, in the field, I think from a few years ago, he used to be, you used to have to hide him. He's more than capable in the field um, and he can actually slog a few with a bat now. But in terms of his primary skill, his bowling, I mean, to have the, the change of pace that he does, to be able to bowl 90-odd mile an hour and then, 
the skill of the slower ball and the accuracy that he's got with it makes him incredibly tough to face, I think. So it's the first time I've been in a team with him and seen him game in, game out. Um, but yeah, he's been so reliable. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants. So he's very easy to captain. So yeah, in, hopefully he gets a nod. Um, what about Josh Butler now? He's not going to the Butlers are expecting their second child. So he's not going to the IPL. And speculation seems to be gathering momentum that uh, he's the first who will withdraw from the ashes if um, COVID protocols and quarantine conditions, et cetera, in Australia don't allow him to be with his family. Yeah, and I can understand that. Uh, Joss is, a, Joss is a, he's a very private, he seems to be a very private person. He's, he's somebody who, uh, who has put a lot on, on family and, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to criticize him for that. If Joss Butler decides, you know what, if my family can't go to Australia, I'm not going, I'd be 100% behind him because I'm a family man myself. I know what it's, I've, I've seen both sides. I've been on the Ashes trip with my family and been, and, and had the, the heartbreaking decision to make to steer and not come home for, um, for my wife giving birth for the second time. I can understand where, where Joss is at. And if he does that, look, you've got no criticism for me, especially after he's pulled out of the, the IPL. He goes and plays World T20, comes home, has Christmas at home. The only thing he's the only thing he's doing is he's he's possibly given up, or given a chance to somebody to take his spot because he hasn't had the hundreds or the runs that he he should get at number six or number seven or his his talent. I should say his talent has at the, at, at, at six or seven. So. If he doesn't go and Bairstow takes the gloves and does well, then it's going to be a big fight for Joss to get his test match players back. But these are decisions you have to make. And if you're making them for the right and family reasons and right call and you stick by them, then then good luck to him. But I think I've always had the feeling that it's it probably was Butler who was going to be the one that would be would be pulling out first because obviously the yeah, the, the butlers are expecting, I think, for the second time and, and, and everybody wishes them well. So, you know, good luck to Joss if he makes that decision. Um, you'll never get any criticism from me for it. Hold the back page. Breaking news. Cricket Australia discover that Justin Langer is passionate, angry, volatile. It's, it's hilarious, isn't it? I mean, he's, he's, he's a great man. Um, you know, anybody who knows Jail knows he's a great man, but he's capable of of great anger as well. And, um, you know, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. And it, it seems that um, he is struggling with the players, the, or the players are struggling with him, I should say. Um, uh, the, the worst thing is that all the leaks that, uh, of this, this volatile relationship that he has with the change room, uh, it seems to be in the media every day at the moment. And then there was that weird statement of support from Nick Hockley, which sounded more like a condemnation. <laughs> what do you make yeah. of it all? Uh, it's it is it is it's madness. Some of the stuff that like, even Kawaja's YouTube thing was just. I was sitting there. I only watched the first about forty five seconds of it, and I switched it off. I thought this is this is this is crazy. Look, you know, like we mentioned earlier, Australia got a fantastic side when they're all available. Like, that's what the chief executive says. Justin Lang is a fantastic coach. He is a great man. Jill is a Alfie's a he's a he's a top man who I had a lot of battles with. I had a lot of battles, probably more battles than, than any other any other opening batsman. And that was even before I played for England. I remember having a big standoff with him in the middle of Lords when I was about 18-year-old. David Boonstand in the middle of us sending me back to remark from bouncing, yeah, Langer and Langer came at me big time. 
And I, I didn't know back. I, I was brought up from the northeast of England. I went back at him and it was like, it was like this street fight in the middle of Lords with nobody watching because it was an empty Durham against Middlesex. And, and and from there and from there, I've always had a decent relationship about him because he he actually he spoke nicely about him and me in the in the in the press. And what you've got, especially you mentioned the leak stuff, but if you're going to have a documentary on a TV on a program or on one of the one of the streams, you're going to have leaks because you're going to have millions of people knocking about. And then all of a sudden, you're going to have an if you've not got any any sort of editorial preference on what goes out. You're asking for trouble. I know one thing. If if somebody had gone, you know, you've got this fly on the wall documentary in the England cricket team when I was playing. I'm not sure you could have been your own your, your, your own person, and then that would you would get little you know, little fractions everywhere because they don't want to speak in public because you don't know who's listening. And I think that causes more problems than than anything else. But for having somebody a passionate coach who loses his temper every now and again. Well, didn't do to Alex Ferguson too bad when he won all them trophies for being somebody that was passionate and forceful and trying to control and look after everything. And I don't think it's going to do the Australian cricket team too bad because sometimes you have to tell people the truth. And if they don't like it, then they go whinging about it and they moan about it and they're weak. Then you're not going to have you're not going to get the sort of, you're not going to get the performance out of them or they're not for you. So you quickly move on. So no, I think, I think there's a lot of nonsense about the JL stuff and it's great to see from an English point of view, but having passion as a coach, I'm sorry. I thought that would be in the job description. Right. It's time now to hear again from Somerset captain, Tom Abel. And with a T20 blast quarterfinal and a county championship on the line, he's been looking ahead to the season run-in and discussing his own England hopes with TalkSport's Scott Taylor. Looking ahead to the next 10 days or so, you've got a, a T20 quarterfinal and then the, the run-in for the county championship. So I guess that's something that you'd have to adjust to. Absolutely. Obviously, a huge amount to play for um, in the back end of our season. Not sort of looking too far ahead. Um, obviously, that quarterfinal against Lanks is going to be huge for us. And obviously, they've gone sort of really well in 2020 cricket over the last few years. So it should be a cracking game. Uh, and then, yeah, equally, uh, the championship running, uh, I think it'll be very tight. But obviously, a lot to look forward to for us, that's for sure. And obviously, a lot to play for. And let's talk about the championship for now. You uh, mentioned it there, 635 runs in eight matches, averaging 63.5. I think it's the third or fourth best in the country now, with what's happening at the moment with England Test side, the problems with the top orders well documented, do you look at the next six weeks and, and maybe think about seizing a chance to, to break into that England team? Because obviously you had experience with the Lions, let's not forget. Not really, to be honest. I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, those guys playing for England, you know, they're, they're the best players in the country and, you know, they've performed so consistently for a long period of time and Test cricket is tough and they're all top players. So I guess my sort of focus now is obviously just trying to, uh, when I go back to Somerset, try and perform, you know, try and help the team win. And look, I, I, as, as captain, I guess I want to, you sort of want to be leading from the front. And that's where my sole focus is, yeah. I guess at 27 now, you're probably coming into your peak years. Is, is that something, do you have a target for, for sort of England in the next couple of years? Or is it just a case of take it game by game? 100%, yeah, I'd sort of, not really someone that likes sort of thinking too far ahead and, and getting carried away. You know, I just try and sort of worry about the next game, which I know is obviously a, a little bit of a cliche, but yeah, I think it can be dangerous if you look too far ahead and 
you know, I just want to get back to some certain try and perform and, and help the team win. Yeah, that's all I'm sort of worrying about at the moment. And one man that's coming back to Somerset is Jack Leach. He's had a bit of a frustrating summer being left out of the of the Test squad. So have you spoken to him? And obviously England's loss is Somerset's gain in this county championship running. Yeah, absolutely. We're obviously, you know, gutted for Leachy that he's he's not quite sort of um, been given the nod in the tests. But, you know, for us, we'll just be, you know, hugely excited to have him back at Somerset. You know, he's such a central figure in our dressing room and, you know, he's very popular amongst the group and obviously he's, he's a world-class sprinter as well. So um, it'll be great to have him back at Somerset. Of course, we want to see him sort of representing England. You know, he's performed so consistently for us, but, you know, ultimately that's, that's in the selector's hands. But I'm sure, you know, Leach is a very grounded guy. You know, he'll be, he just wants to be playing and I'm sure he'd be very disappointed that he's not playing for England, but equally he'll be excited about the challenges uh, back at Somerset, I'm sure. And just finally, thanks for your time uh, this morning, Tom. The, the news that Azar Ali's coming back to Somerset for the, for the season running, as a captain as well, just how big is it to have that international experience of someone like Azar, not only as a batsman as well, but that sort of senior head that can potentially help you as captain too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Azar's a dream overseas, to be honest. The way he sort of conducts himself and, you know, how he commits absolutely everything you know, to the cause. Uh, and obviously he's a, he's a world-class player himself. And we obviously had him at the club in 2019 and um, it was a no-brainer, no-brainer really trying to get him back for, for the run-in. Obviously a huge amount on the line for us and, you know, having someone of Azza's class is, is only going to help us, I think. Tom Abel's one of those uh, cricketers, Hami's graph has just got up and up and up. I mean, you know, there's... As as a general rule, he's got better and better as the seasons uh, have gone on. Do you remember he was appointed Somerset captain at 23, I think he was? Yeah. Uh, he was, wasn't he? Yeah. But um, he's uh, he's a very, very fine man. Good, good cricketer. Yeah, he is. And he's he's somebody who Somerset could have gone the easy route and he had some experienced players, just as Marcus Truscothic was finishing, the likes of James Hildreth. But they went for Tom Abel, who looks as though he's got a decent head on his shoulders. And again, he, he, he seems every year you look at the first-class averages in the runs and you see Tom Abel at near the top. And he never gets talked about playing for England. And he never gets talked about. And a bit like a, a James Hurdleth. You know, James have played a lot of cricket against James. And another one that just slips under the radar, doesn't get talked about playing for England too many times over the course of the year. But at the end of the year, you look at the averages and the runs, you know, cumulative runs, and you think... Wow, he's he's up there again. He's got another thousand. He's got nine hundred again. So he's done brilliantly leading Somerset nearly to the championship. I think for the would have been for the first time in the last last couple of years. They've been very very close, um, and they've got some good good players down at uh, down at Taunton. Yeah, again, we're not talking about somebody who's playing for England here, but has uh, has had a very very fine first class career and leading a very very good county. All uh, right, last 20 seconds. Rate England's chances of coming back to win this Test Series. They've always got a chance. For me, they've always got a chance because they've got a bowling unit that can take 20 wickets. Score runs, got a chance of winning the series. Don't score runs, no chance of winning the series. Jimmy Anderson is so key to this group. Now, Broad's not fit. They can get 20 wickets. It's just a case of can you one, two, three, get runs. Simple as that. Thanks, Army. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. If you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can listen back to the podcast, which is now available via the free TalkSport app 
or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next week to look back at the third test and look ahead to the fourth. But for now, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today.